welcome to Crag Gals, the show where we are gals talking about crags. My name is Carolyn DeRosa. I am a third-year film major here at Penn State University, minoring in music technology and English. And I'm joined by my co-host, Macy. Macy, how are you today? Hey, everybody. I'm good today. Um, doing well. It's uh, Classes are over for the day. So, <laughs> so no more stress there. Um, but hey, everybody. My name's Macy. Um, I am a second-year um, at agriculture business management major here at Penn State University, and I have two minors, one in international agriculture and one in horticulture. And today we've got some fun stuff going on on the podcast, and I say that because I'm really excited about our first question, our spontaneous question. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading... <laughs> I was reading something that was not related to this. Um, our spontaneous fun fact for today is how would you survive the Hunger Games? Today's spontaneous fun fact was sponsored by Grace Smith from the Climate Club. She posted like this random Google form in the chat last night. And she was like, hey, guys, I need you to all to fill this out immediately. And we were like, Grace, what is this? And then I open it. It's a Hunger Games, like who would do what in the Hunger Games? I was like, oh, never mind. This is totally allowed. So, this, you know, it's like a, you know, it's like a TikTok trend. Well, yeah, I know. I know it's a TikTok trend. Yeah, I'm yeah. on. I'm currently on Hunger Games TikTok, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's like this trend going around on TikTok, mm-hmm. and then it formulates all your answers into like a pie chart at the end, and you can see like how many people said who would be the most likely to do what. Mm-hmm. So it's it's cool. Slay. Um. So yeah, uh, Macy, how would you survive the Hunger Games? So. Carolyn and I actually kind of have agreements on this, but the plan would be to maintain like ultimate secrecy. Like I, I'm hiding in the bushes, climbing trees, using my climbing skills, um, of course, to like climb up high where other people can't get to. Um, we're a little bit different in this sense. I'm obviously still staying low, but I, I would consider creating an alliance with one person. Probably not any more than that. <laughs> maybe if if somebody's trustworthy enough but in the hunger games you just never know so i'm i'm staying low i i'm creating an alliance with one person using my climbing skills and maintaining as much secrecy as possible how do you determine who gets to be in a line like in an alliance with you it'll take time <laughs> like girl you don't have time <laughs> <laughs> okay if if somebody say i'm like struggling a lot and like somebody notices and they come and help me. What if you two assumed that someone would help you? <laughs> <laughs> this is the Hunger Games girl. I know. There's one person. I know. <laughs> but but there are there are alliances where people help each other. The the way that I could see an alliance being hard is if it's like a long lasting alliance and you two stay like close and then you start to become friends and then it's like, well, I have to kill you now. Like, and when the Hunger Games are actually over, because one person can win. Yeah. So, like, it's like killing your friend. Like, I don't, I wouldn't want to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why I would trust no one. Number one. Okay. So, I'm going to go through mine now. Um, like Macy, I'll focus on our similarities first. Okay. Because that's how we have engagements in, in this country. <laughs> we are in the shadows, right? We are. Okay. In that secrecy is a must. Like, I'm not going to be out here trying to kill as many people. I'm not going to be out here trying to impress somebody. No, I'm in the shadows, you know, just kind of vibing out and waiting till it's over, right? I'm focusing on using climbing on its advantage. So I would either hide in like a mountain or a cave or climb trees. That's a, that's a useful skill that we got. And I would not engage in close combat. I would use a bow if I could get one uh, because close combat is way too stressful. Um, so I'd simply just not. Um, preferably, I'd like to stay in an area near water. But like, obviously, throughout the Hunger Games, like there's different types of like biomes. So like, you may not be able to stay by the water, or the water could kill you. Who the heck knows? Um, but I am personally of the idea that we are trusting no one because like, why would I trust somebody when I know if I want to win, they have to die? Also, you have to keep in mind that like, not everybody wants. Like, none of these people really want to do the Hunger Games. I'm not saying, like, I'm thinking, like, careers, but I, you're you're technically right. No, I, 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 I kind of agree with that, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, in that case, you're like, wow, we both really don't want to be here. Let's help each other out. You know what I mean? But one of you has to die eventually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, so you better have thick skin. I th- 
<laughs> do what must be done. <laughs> but like, no, but that's the thing. Like, like if I make friends with somebody and then we get down to like the final four mm-hmm. and we're two, it, 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 at that point, it's like kill or be killed. Like, I'm, I'm simply not about that vibe. I'd rather be by myself and be killed than like have to kill like my friend who like, I've been feeding for like the past couple of days, you know, because <laughs> I'm very nurturing. Like, I think I'm a very nurturing person. I like being protector. I get too protector. So it's like, why why trust anyone? Mm-hmm. Why not just be by myself and okay. vibe? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we would make a great pair in the Hunger Games, though. Oh, I agree. <laughs> we would. We would. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I sent Macy this TikTok like a couple of days ago, and it was like me looking into all the hidden cameras, like, mm-hmm. like in the Hunger Games, and it was like making poses and stuff. And it was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like throwing up peace signs. <laughs> All right, but that is our climbing news. Or, sorry, that is our spontaneous fun fact. On to our climbing news now. Okay, so today we're going to talk about... um, Something very recent. Um, I'm just going to start off with a brief description. So um, a pro climber known as Zhenya Kashbakova. She's a pro climber who writes an official statement to international the International Olympic Committee regarding the allowance of Russian and Belarusian, Belarusian uh, competitors to still compete at international competitions under a neutral flag. So obviously... I think it's clear that she is on the side of not allowing this to happen, but um, I'll go into a bit more detail here. So Ukraine is to boycott the Paris 2024 Olympics if Russian and Belarusian athletes were able to compete. Um, And that's kind of where this statement comes into play um, that she makes. So the Ukrainian government and the National Olympic Committee of Ukraine released a statement saying kind of these guidelines for these competitors. Um, and it not only affects climbers, obviously, but it affects all international competitions. Um, she just happened to um, be a climber who spoke out about it. But this means that Zhenya and her teammates are losing the chance to compete at things like World Cups, World Championships, and of course, the Olympic Games of 2024. Um, so this is really quite devastating to her and her teammates. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I feel I feel bad because, you know, obviously like we I'd love to see the Ukrainians compete at the Olympics. Like they're they're fear they're they're a good bunch to like watch. Mm-hmm. Especially during like the European championships last year. Um they were really good to to watch. Um at the same time too, like I do kind of I would also kind of feel bad for some Russian athletes um who would not be able to compete if there was a ban on on any type of Russian or Belarusian athletes during this, during the Olympics, right? I would feel bad because as an athlete too, like we see this a lot, especially here in the United States, especially talking about not only like, you know, the the kind of conversation that's happening between, you know, allowing trans athletes to compete in men's and women's sports, but like, obviously it's a completely different thing, but at the same time, all, all we want as athletes is to compete. And I think that's something that a lot of athletes regardless of what type of background you have you know have faced before like whether you're going to going to compete or whether you're not um and it sucks that someone because of their nationality and because of the politics that are playing would not be allowed to compete however it's also not fair if you go to the olympics and an entire team is supporting the the a war that is like basically like out to end your country mm-hmm. like it's just simply not fair. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me in the nineteen. Do you know what year the Nazis hosted the Olympics? I should have googled this before we did. Oh, yeah, the nineteen thirty six. Um, so it does. It kind of reminds me like when the Olympic Games were hosted in Nazi Germany, um, and like all of these like Jewish athletes either could compete or like were like, nah, I'm not going to Nazi Germany. Like we're not just simply we're simply not going to do that. You know. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely hard. I I feel for I feel for both sides, but definitely more for the Ukrainians because no one should have to go there underneath the pressure that you know they're going to be not necessarily discriminated against, but definitely like under pressure from these Russian athletes who who have been supporting the the war. You know, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so as we see, um, as this goes further along, kind of, um, it is now up to the IFSC, International Federations, to decide the destiny of the Ukrainian athletes. Um, and Genia gave her statement as a part of the Athletes Commission um, and for the IFSC. So in the next few days, the IFSC will assemble to discuss, basically. And um, Genia wanted to go public with her statement to bring awareness to it. Um, obviously, it affects all Ukrainian athletes, so she's kind of standing up for her country in a way. And she also stands by her statement, so she wants it to be known. Um, so getting into what her statement says, um, she it's it's a pretty powerful statement. She starts by reading... Um, the names of 20 professional Ukrainian athletes that will never have the chance to compete again due to the fact that they were killed during the war. Um, that was only 20 of those athletes. 228 pro athletes and three more coaches were killed during the war, um, which is insane. And she also brings up the question of where, quote, where are the rights of the 228 deceased professional athletes to compete again? End quote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have something to say? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw, I, I like went through the names and I actually posted like on my own personal Instagram. I hadn't posted it yet on the Crack Gals one, but like it was like three slides like of Instagram of like just names. And like some of them were as young as like 19. I know one kid played American football actually, which really surprised me. I didn't even know like American football was like, was like an actual international sport. But um, it's, it's still crazy that um, she only named 20 and they're still... 200 what 228 yeah so yeah 208 more yeah 208 more and three three coaches who would never be able to compete again um and she actually lists the causes of death in some of them and a lot of them are either missile strikes drone strikes um killed while defending Mariupol, um killed while defending kiev you know mm -hmm. it's it's just it, it must be like very sad to have to like list out all of these names and you could only fit 20 in an Instagram post when all of them deserve that minimum respect of, you know, always having their name out there, what sport they did, what they were doing, you know. I definitely hope that it strikes um, IFSC as something that is eye-opening. Um, the fact that they are reading these names, number one, and then the fact that they are not even reading close to half of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, not even like a third of them, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, but anyways, she also mentions how majority of Russian athletes are members of the Russian sports army, which does mean that they have direct government support, um, which obviously does not help their case. And she also mentions Russian propaganda spreading, um, which to them just seems to justify the invasion. And Zhenya explains that these athletes uh, competing demonstrates that the world does not care about the tragedies in Ukraine. A couple of years ago, I think in like the Summer Olympics, there was a um, there was an American, there was an American soldier. I think he was a lieutenant in the army who was also a sniper who competed in the Olympics for like rifle shooting, and oh. it was during the Afghan War, and everybody was like, "No, hmm, no, immediately yeah. no." And this kind of goes back into what we talked about last time when we were talking about um, that story with the Ukrainian mountaineers um, about how a lot of them had Russian friends who could not stay, who could not like say anything or either that or did not have the courage to say something mm -hmm. despite, despite because, or sorry, not despite, but because they, they didn't, they had those military contracts with the Russian government. Mm -hmm. um, I was just going to say that I do think this supports the idea of um, like the silence is saying a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, that's good. No, no, yeah. that's good. That's good. Yeah. Like, the the silence is really loud <laughs> um which i obviously understand that it's a bit harder for russians to say something because they will obviously be penalized um by the government and it is not easy for them to say stuff but at the same time you you have to realize when it is your place to say something mm -hmm. so yeah i 100 percent agree with that like the the silence like as macy said the silence is extremely loud mm -hmm. like and and like you also said as well, like we they can't just like say anything because they're living in a totalitarian government. They say something like it's it's jail at the at the least, mm -hmm. dying at the worst, or even worse, like your family like being thrown into jail, mm -hmm. right? And I understand 
kind of like on an emotional like level like that must be very hard but at the same time like we're talking about a country that is going out to completely wipe out another country like mm, there's got to be a there there has to be a line and it's not up for the ukrainians to like it's it's sad that like the ukrainians have to keep saying this over and over and over again in reality the line should be drawn by by the russian citizens which i understand like they can't really do that but at the same time like if there's any if there's ever going to be any change it's going to be caused by the citizens of russia mm-hmm. not by the ukrainians right because what what can you do your natural like if you're if someone's coming in to basically wipe out your entire country your only response is going to be to fight back that's the natural human response someone comes if someone ever were to come into america and try to kill i don't know the entire like for example macy wake if someone came to like invade appalachia mm-hmm. i'd be like nah I'm deploying the Appalachia. <laughs> Put me in mechanics very way, you know? Um, but it's like there it's 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 hard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really hard. And I feel for a lot of people, but definitely for the Ukrainians way more. Yeah. Yeah. So um going off of that, Jenya kind of explains it in this way where she says that it gives Russia confidence um without having to deal with the consequences of their actions. And that it is a threat to our civilized world that they continue their aggressions. So by the allowance of these people to compete in international competitions, it is the allowance that they can continue the beh- their behavior. Yeah. Kind of kind of like just letting there be a leeway. Uh, what she is saying is they have obviously caused tragedy. Um and and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be allowed that they compete to like maybe compensate I don't know compensate for any sort of a- any sort of behaviors. So you understand what I'm saying. I do, um, yeah. But several other countries have also showed their concern um, in this issue, such as Poland, Denmark, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. And so. She calls on the duty of the government at the end of her statement. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just very sad because not only that, like I'm personally like in support of banning Russia from the Olympics for at least four years, not only for this whole entire situation, but because of the massive doping incidents that Russian athletes continuously have in the Olympics. We saw it in the Winter Olympics. We saw it in the Summer Olympics. And not only doping for like normal adult athletes, but also doping children. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you do you remember that one case with that figure skater? Yes. Yeah, a 15 year old. They gave her drugs to be able to like do better in a competition. Mm-hmm. I, pff, I I was so angry when I saw that, and it's not at the athlete because you're you're 15 years old. You don't know how to co- know t- like tell a coach better. The coach is probably even lying to her as well. Mm-hmm. We're talking about uh, an organization, not even like a country, because this is not involved the country of Russia. We're talking about an organization that continuously allows its athletes to take performance enhancing drugs to for sorry not when they go to these events to do better for russia that's reason for ban number one right continuously do that there's multiple evidence and multiple instances especially in the world of figure skating and i would not be surprised if it started to get into climbing as well that should be reason number one for ban for for ban number one the reason number two is because like jenya said earlier like a lot of these athletes do support the government vocally right and it's probably because they have to right but at the same time like there's a moment in someone's like human integrity where it's like you know am i gonna do the right thing yes or no and that may cause me pushback and i totally understand that that level of humanity right that's a very valid point from human like from a human standpoint but at the same time like there's right and there's wrong you know, trying to, you know, come after an entire country, obviously wrong. Supporting or at least being silent is also very wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel for I feel for Jenya. I feel for all of the Ukrainian athletes. And I definitely don't blame them for boycotting. You know, mm-hmm. I would I would want to I wouldn't want to be in that environment either where I like am constantly worried about like what is this, you know, Russian athlete, you know, kind of propagating about me. So, yeah, just difficult, just difficult overall. Yeah, um, I definitely do want to say that a lot of the key points that really stand out to me during this um, whole discussion and this whole statement is is the whole um, 
act of giving Russia confidence and also just um, just just the fact that Ukraine does not feel um, represented uh, in the way that they should. So I definitely feel feel for these um, athletes and these competitors. I really hope that they can um, compete soon again. And I really hope that the IFSC hears what Jenya has to say. So any last thoughts? No, I mean, as usual, Savo Ukraini, but like that's that's about it. But yeah. All right. So on to our accident series. So this is accident number three in our most notorious accident series. Um, if you're willing or if you want to follow along with us, uh, feel free to look at our previous episodes to see the um, other two accidents that we've talked about, as well as um, there's an article always linked at the end of each episode um, going to where this accident takes place or where these accidents takes place. Just as a reminder, though, if you do far scroll too far down, you may see a spoiler, um, which is totally fine. Climbing.com did this first, but we just thought this would be a really interesting series to cover. So this is actually a um, a very famous accident. Um, basically had an entire book and movie based off, based off of it, which, by the way, we should probably watch the trailer for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I frequently <laughs> forgot to tell you to watch that. But um, So this is called Touching the Void in the Sinula Grande in Peru. Uh, in 1985. Um, basically, there's this new route on the west side of the Sinula Grande um, that Joe Simpson and his partner Simon Yates were descending on. They had already climbed up this mountain. They were about 20,814 feet um, in the in the air. And uh, so they're not descending. And um, are you fixing all my crevasses? <laughs> Carolyn types, I'm, I'm not trying to um, devoid us here, but Carolyn types extremely fast and then she um, does not seem to go back and ever, ever fix her spelling errors. I so I go back and I click through every single one and I click the little red line and then I click the right word and then I go through the whole show notes. Sorry. And... <laughs> Yeah, just thought I'd let that be known. So this is why I produced the show. This is why I produced the show. This is why you like do, do all the writing. <laughs> I will like to say this episode and like one other episode. I think it was also the one with the Ukrainian mountaineers. Mm-hmm. You did a lot of the writing I for. Did, yeah. So yeah, Macy's. We're very <laughs> proud of Macy over here. I'm swinging my feet, but yeah, we're very we're very proud of Macy taking on the more writing role. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, so uh, Joe Simpson and Simon Yates were descending on the Sinula Grande. Um, so Simon needs to lower Joe Simpson about, about 2,500 feet before the rope that the two were tied to formed a knot and jammed into Yates' belay device. Um, so Simpson was now stranded midair in the dark above a crevasse that as he slowly began pulling uh, or as he slowly, you know, started going down, Yates was not anchored to anything as he was lowered, as he was lowering, um, as he was lowering Simpson. Sorry, I'm like trying to keep track of all these names. Um, so... As Simpson is kind of dangling there, Yates is struggling to hold the rope as as he's starting to slip. So Simpson makes the really, really harrowing, this is another word that we keep using in this, in this section, but really harrowing call to cut the rope um, so that way he didn't pull down Yates with him. Um, so he, quote, uh, severely inj- injured his right tibular, knee, ankle, and heel. So pretty much like, broke his broke his broke his legs um so but he survived um Yates ended up looking for his partner the next day um into the into the glacier but after seeing the cut rope he assumed that Simpson that Simpson had died so Simpson essentially fallen pretty deep into this crevasse uh with some rope and um after his broken leg he tried crawling out or climbing out but he really could not do it um because of the ice so he decided to make this really weird and honestly amazing call that ended up saving his life so he decided to use the rope that he cut with him to repel further into the cross yeah (laughs) he says quote i pretty much thought it was a form of suicide he says um i didn't have the courage to simply jump off i didn't put a knot in the end of the rope um it would be quick that way end quote so Macy, are you kind of familiar with like repelling? I am not too familiar with repelling, actually. Okay. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> Neither am I. But um, generally speaking, through just kind of the stuff that I that I've read through these kind of accidents, um, 
one of the like I guess one of the big causes that causes accidents while rappelling is not tying a knot at the end of your rappel line so to my understanding you basically take the rope and you put it in if I have like an ATC pilot in front of me right you put the rope through both sides of the ATC and you kind of hold both of those strands as you're going down um and a lot of the accidents that we see on here that involve rappelling where people just kind of like slip off and and fall so yeah having the catastrophe or not basically what it does is that like once it gets sucked into the belay device like it can't come undone but a lot of people end up like a lot of people do forget to tie the knot um or just simply don't um and so having things like an uneven rope length can cause you know that similar type of accident or even just like forgetting to tie a knot all together um can cause it to slip out in a moment's notice and all of a sudden you're like like going all the way back so it's crazy how like simpson was just kind of like this is like the last shot and he was pretty sure it it would be the end um which i don't believe him you know you're kind of stuck in this like dark glacier with like probably like a headlamp but that's about it um do you want to say something yeah i was just gonna say this is like a really big decision for him to make to would would you say that he saved his friend yeah 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 Yeah. so like i i find that very admirable Mm -hmm. and i just think like i just wanted to mention that that seems like maybe the one good thing that could come out of this Mm -hmm. is that he was very um he was very brave in saving his friend i agree um that must have been a very a very hard decision um but yeah i mean if he hadn't cut the rope so pretty much I, i find it very brave that he made that really difficult call to to cut the rope and basically avoid pulling pulling Yates with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but miraculously, somehow there was a ledge 80 feet below that led to the surface of the of the crevasse. Right. And so what Simpson did is that he basically crawled to the surface of the glacier and then to base camp of the Siniwadan Grande, which was three days away. Um, so by then, Yates said that he and an acquaintance who was also climbing with then had, quote, lost hope. And um, they were packing up until they heard Simpson calling out for them, calling out for them and seeing his headlamp. And um, I think uh, Yates says, um, quote, seeing the white beams of Simpson. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. This is um, this is Simpson talking about Yates and the other guy. Um, Simpson says, quote, seeing the white beams of Simon and Richard's head torches suddenly flicking on in the night was unforgettable. Like, that must have been incredible because, like, imagine, like, you're crawling for, like, three days. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, like, starvation's not really, like, an issue, but, like, your thirst, like, you're about to, like, die of thirst and, like... Well, and your legs are broken. And your legs are broken, yeah. I think only one leg was broken. Okay, well, um, broken. Yeah, the leg is broken. <laughs> um, and, and um, yeah, that must have been incredible knowing that you were about to, you were about to get out. Um, so, there was a couple lessons for this kind of accident, um... Simpsons later states that um, the two, both uh, Simpson and Yates, had packed very had packed too light. Um, they wanted to pack light, obviously, because they're mountaineering, but they hadn't brought any extra food nor sta- uh, gas stove canisters. Um, so basically, um, they had no time to wait um, and had to keep moving um, or risk, you know, freezing to death. Um, starving to death isn't really possible in this scenario because it takes the average human like 20 days to starve to death um but also like there's not too much known if they had had a lot of food the night before or just general like being hungry can probably make you make those like really rash decisions and the lack of gas canisters probably made them feel forced to keep on moving through the dark which ultimately contributed to their mistake he later says quote humans can endure far more than anyone uh might think possible as long as they don't give up end quote which is another lesson that he brings up is that like he was able to endure a lot more than what he thought when he was you know kind of faced like faced with death pretty much so yeah what do you what do you think mace yeah yeah i think when you're in that life and death scenario and all you have is really like your adrenaline to keep you going you like like shoot into that that mindset that it it is life or death i can either do the most and use all the resources I have um, or I cannot try and that will like death will be my fate is, is kind of like the thinking there. And also I feel like a very um, similar kind of trend in these accidents that we've been talking about is just like simply like people just need to be over overpacked like you just need to take way more than you think that you could ever need because in in a situation like this like you said extra food would have been really helpful extra gas canisters would have been really helpful anything extra such as even even an extra rope or even like 
things that we're not thinking about too. Because mm-hmm. um, you never know what can happen. Yeah. So, and especially with them going out in the night as well, mm-hmm. it would have been helpful um, to have more materials so that they didn't have to push themselves. I, I agree with all that. <clears throat> so yeah, that's the um, that's the accident called Touching the Void. Um, if you're interested in either reading um, more about this, um, I believe uh, Joe Simpsons did a memoir or an autobiography by the same name um, called Touching the Void. There's also a 2003 Kevin Mac- MacDonald film called Touching the Void. Um, and if you don't know Kevin MacDonald's work, um, some of his other films include The Last King of Scotland, which was made in 2006, Whitney, which was made in 2018, The Rescue, which was made in 2021, uh, 2021, I don't know why I said 2021, 2021, um, that's personally one of my favorites. I loved The Rescue. That movie was so, so, so good. Um, and then Kipchoge, The Last Mile, uh, or The Last Milestone, excuse me, which was also made in 2021. So yeah, go check that out. So for our <laughs> I'm just really excited about this. Um, so yeah, our main topic for today is outdoor versus indoor climbing and what the difference is and what our experience is with those differences. Um, so I guess you guys talked about this in season one um, as well. And I think that we're going to make it into sort of a seasonal section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do it kind of once a once a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, yeah. So Emma and I started this last season. Shout out to Emma. Hope you're doing well, Queen. We miss you. We had a meeting with you on Monday, but we still miss you. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since Monday. Okay? It's been a long time since Monday. We miss you. Say hi to all the Irish climbers for us. But um, Emma and I ended up doing this one conversation last season where we talked about like outdoor versus indoor. Like what's the difference and like what are our opinions on it? And it was a really fun episode. Like I just genuinely like enjoyed talking about it and Emma like having a lot more experience than I do um, climbing in the outdoors. You know, she's a trip leader. She just generally likes the outdoors more than the indoors. And, you know, we had that like very natural like dynamic of like being able to like I'm someone who like very much grew up in the gym and she was the one who took me out and then just getting to like absorb like all her wisdom and like what she like talked about was really eye opening and it was a really great episode. It was probably one of my favorite episodes from season from season one. And Macy and I were talking and we were like, we need an episode. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, what if we did outdoor versus indoor? And, and like I was I was like, well, um, you know, why not just do make this as like a seasonal thing? Because like it will vary. Yeah, exactly. It'll vary, especially like the more that we go outside, um, the more that we can have these conversations and kind of grow and be able to build off of, you know, our experiences in going to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we're having a um, part two, I guess, to this to this discussion. So we may repeat some things, um, but I do think it's also important for us to be kind of like reflecting on like not only the indoor aspect of what we usually do here at Penn State, but also the outdoor pa- aspect of what we do and um, kind of start to bring more nuances to um, both of the disciplines. Um, so, yeah. You want to start out? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And and like Carolyn was saying, like you and Emma definitely had an interesting dynamic with this. I, I do think that we will also have an interesting look on it because mm-hmm. I really just went outdoor climbing for the first time so (laughs) so and now carolyn has learned a lot not only through emma but just through being involved um like even through climb nittany um and the people that you meet there um and just learning from doing the podcast and things like that so um I'll, i'll start off i guess and um we actually both wrote this down so textures textures are much different indoors versus outdoors um when i went outdoors with carolyn a week or two a couple weeks ago last tuesday Tuesday, (laughs) um the outdoor rock feels much rougher on the skin compared to what i'm used to indoors um and like i feel like this is common like obviously i've seen outdoor climbers with this um but the the pinkish purple fingertips that you get um, and then I also got several like scratches on my wrist, um, kind of like almost like a road rash looking thing, um, just from like the scraping. Um, but that is definitely something that I am not at all used to. Um, but yeah, so the, the textures was something interesting for me, um, as an indoor climber, because I don't really, really consider that as something that could be part of my injury. Mm-hmm. 
if that makes sense. But as an outdoor climber, it's like I realized that you might like, oh, maybe your fingertips are really like um, like rubbed raw one day. You're like, oh, I, I can't climb today. I need like to rest like for that. Mm-hmm. I, I just never considered that as like a need for a resting point, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like texture was definitely like a slope or, or, or a struggle. Um, you, you, we, we were, we were filming outside and I'll go into that like a little bit later, but we're filming like this documentary that I'm doing on Macy right now. And I filmed one thing where she like slapped her hand onto a sloper and it slipped and it just like scraped. And I was like, like, God, no, immediately turn it off. Like, we're done. We're done. I was like, oh. <laughs> It's so funny because like she goes on and like, it's like something out of like a movie. Like you know like when 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 Mufasa, you know when Mufasa is about to like fall off the cliff yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's slipping like it was like slow motion. It was literally it was like and I was like god, please. Um but yeah, and I've only really had an experience like a similar experience um with kind of like getting like that skin rubbed raw and it's when we went to compete in Sport Rock. In, in, in Virginia because all of those holds are fiberglass. I found this out through Dexter yesterday. Oh. Dexter said that all of the holds are fiberglass and those tends to be those tend to be much more grainy yeah. and just kind of like like just mm-hmm. mm, just <laughs> rub nice and raw on your skin. Um but like also as a sound designer too, like just being able to hear everything that happens. So like if you were to like put your foot on like a rock you would hear that if this sounds so obvious to everybody, but like for me, for my brain, it like drove me crazy, like mm-hmm. crazy, like in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like anytime I like, like crimped on a, on a, like a tiny hold, like I was able to like hear like the, and I was like, Oh, this is good. I really <laughs> like this. This is really fun. Um, so yeah, texture it is such a, it, it's very different, but at the same time, like I really, I really liked it, you know? Um, it's definitely something that I want to train a little bit more because I think it could help me build up my my like skin toughness. But mm. still, I think it'd be a great a great experience. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to the next thing that I wrote, um, is the the like environmental aspect of it. Um, obviously, like going indoors is just simply more convenient, like convenient for the day to day, um, because outdoors is often a, a full day experience. Um, so I think. I think even if you're an outdoor climber, um, it's probably typical to supplement it with some indoor days. <laughs> um, but I mean, of course, depends on the personal um, opinion on that or whatever you feel comfortable with. But um, I like the environmental hiking, like multi-element outdoor factor of of the whole thing. So like Carolyn and I, when we went, we did... Um, I don't know how long the hike was, but it felt like a hike. Like it was, it was, we were going uphill. We were basically at the top of the mountain. We got lost. <laughs> we got so, it's so funny. Do you mind if I talk about that one part with Adam? Oh yeah. <laughs> so we're in the car, we're eating our sheets and we're just having a good time. We're having a good conversation. We have no service. So I'm trying like in the blips of service that we do get, <laughs> To get to pull up Mountain Project and get some type of a map to figure out where the heck we're going. <laughs> we were hanging out. It's like pretty quiet. I'm trying to find a Mountain Project. And all of a sudden, Macy's phone goes ding. And I'm like, How are you getting service? Her boyfriend, Adam, this man, text like t- we sends her like like the sms text message that's what i found funny too like he yeah i was like, like this he was watching it and then like he was watching it realized it didn't go through then had to click the red little circle and somehow this man managed to get me like get the text message jimmy i'm like how did you do that yeah. <laughs> I, it, it reminded me of like like the the movie like the martian uh-huh. with uh with what's his face and like they're like he's trying to like desperately cut my like, contact everybody <laughs> I was like, if Macy ever gets stuck in space, Adam will figure out a way. He will. He will figure out a way. Moral of the story, get yourself a man like Adam anyway. But I know. What's up, Adam? Uh, we started laughing so hard. But yeah, we got lost. And like, we eventually found a map somehow through like a blink of service. And I took a screenshot. And we went the wrong way first. And we had to turn back around. I had a crash pad on my head. Um, so I was carrying two backpacks. I had one for camera stuff. I had one for climbing stuff. And I was like, well, like, I'm from Venezuela. Like, 
and you know probably back in our like amazonian days like when we were still like like in the amazon rainforest like we probably like put the jars like on our head and, and stuff <laughs> so i was like i can totally balance a crash pad on my head mm-hmm. while while we're while we're doing this 20 minute hike mm-hmm. you know it's fine i was exhausted by the time i <laughs> I was sore the next day and I don't even think it was from climbing. I think it was literally just because the crash pad was heavy and it was like resting on my shoulders and I didn't use the hip strap either. And so it's just weighing down my shoulders and I was like, wow, my shoulders are so sore. Like what, what happened? And I was like, oh, it was the crash pad. It was the crash pad. But I also wasn't sore the next day. So that's just awkward. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so just, just generally like, like just finding our way through nature was a both a barrier and something that I really enjoyed because like I can imagine if you're not like naturally like I don't know orienteering skilled like I'm not Macy's the one who read the map correctly and was like no we need to go this way and yeah I can imagine it could be really hard for some people especially like you know if you're not that active or like if you're not you know, if you don't have crash pads in order to begin with, like it could be a big barrier to go outdoors and hike in these places. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I saw. Um, another thing that I noticed too was that it was a lot more dangerous. <laughs> like we say this all the time, like climbing outdoors is dangerous. No, this was dangerous. <laughs> like we were filming this documentary, and um, there were like some definitely like some close calls that we had. So like um, Macy was doing this one, this one climb. Do you remember what it was called? It was like a mushroom, oh. mushroom something. Yeah, I forget the full name. That's okay. <laughs> it was called. It was, we'll post it later. Um, but she was doing this one like move on it that like pretty much required to go like over the over the lip and kind of like start to top out. And she fell. I'm shaking as I'm <laughs> spotting her because I'm like I don't know what's gonna happen. She was like right above me, and um, so I spot her. And we you know she gets in the crash pad. I'm like okay cool. And then all of a sudden the crash pad starts slipping leaning and I was, backwards. yeah, I was leaning backwards. Oh yeah. I forgot to mention this is on a hill. So like we had the crash pads all angled into this one, like over, yeah, into this divot, like where the overhang started. And then, um, all of a sudden Mac- Macy's crash pad started going backwards. And I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> <Like> I <laughs> Was it that hard? <laughs> Macy just like did like this whole like short grass and like in my mind it wasn't that tight like I was trying to make sure that she wasn't trying to go anywhere but I was also like this girl is not falling and to be fair like you did slip a little bit but like this whole like <laughs> and I was like no way was that tight but girl y'all I grasped this woman's shirt fully grasped and I was like you're not going anywhere no but like it's it's a very real aspect of outdoor climbing. Like I not that I necessarily didn't realize, but like especially when you're getting the crash pads into areas that are not necessarily the nicest for crash pads, mm-hmm. areas that aren't flat or areas that have pointy rocks. Like I did not fully consider that they won't lay flat, and that's difficult. I agree. And also, like, with moving them, too. So if we were doing, like, a traverse or something, like, I would have to, like, move the crash pads, like, just to make sure that they were still, like, in a decent spot. Mm-hmm. And also just, like, spotting. So, like, I've spotted before, um, but I'm definitely still learning, like, how to do it. And there's definitely some spots, there, there are definitely some moments where I didn't know, like, how to spot. And, like, basically what spotting is that, like, you're supposed to, like, hold out your hands. And, like, if the person falls, you're not catching them. You're guiding them down to the crash pads so that way they don't fall on like a harder surface and be able to like break their ankle or whatever um but there are definitely some spots where you're topping out and i was like if this girl falls i i i, I don't know I, I respectfully i don't i don't know um she's fixing my spelling errors again um but um but yeah it was a little bit it was a little more dangerous but i liked it it's yeah. fun I, I mean it also doesn't help that i feel like I know when to stop. I know when something is too dangerous. I know when I went to be like, okay, like that, that's not a good idea. But at the same time, I, I want to go for things like I, I want to, <laughs> you know, like there were some things where you were like, oh no. And like, I'll just go for it. I don't know. It's, it's important to have that mindset that dangerous things can always happen. So there was this moment we talked about this actually where we were at the crag and <laughs> You topped out of this one route and did this 
jump to like a tree in order to get down. <laughs> I come around the bend just to like see what she's doing, and I'm like, "What are you doing? Like, did you just do that?" She's like, "Yeah, it's fine. It's just a little jump." I do the same route. I get to the same spot, and I was like, "Excuse me." I really want to cuss at this point. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you just jumped across, and there was like a little lip. So like, if you fell too short, you're going like into in between rocks, right? Breaking your ankle. Yeah, like breaking your ankle, twisting up the knee, torn, tearing up the meniscus. You know all the vibes. And Macy was like, "Yeah, it's just a little jump." And I was like, "Macy, I think you and I had very different childhoods." Like, <laughs> this girl was encouraged, encouraged to jump off the highest point of the slide. My mom made sure my butt was in the seat, and I moved myself. And there was like a lifeguard. Like, I love my mom to death. Like, I love my mom to death. But that woman was totally a helicopter parrot, and I could see it. I can see it now because I looked at the jump, and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> you know. Um, but I did the jump. I did a gun. I hurt my ankle a little bit, but it was fine. I didn't. No, I didn't hurt my ankle, but I was like, I, I definitely landed, and I was like, mm, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. But yeah, there, there are definitely some moments where I was like, you know what, this is a little bit too dangerous for yeah. me. And then Macy was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and obviously indoors, like this is not. You don't you don't think about how you get down and there's always a pad to save you at the bottom and you just you know, and, and like cushiony surfaces all around you. You jump down to your feet, you roll back. Nothing's an issue outdoors. It's like if I let go right now and I fall like not good, not good stuff. Not so good. um, but moving on from that kind of on a different direction. Um. Finding routes can be a struggle outdoors. I know that we struggled with this when we went. Um, like it, it, indoor, it's just laid out for you. You find the start, you find where it says top. All it's either all color coordinated or there's tape associated yeah. associated, and it's also color coordinated. Um, sometimes there will be a tag where the start is and a tag where it finishes. Um, it depends on the gym and that sort of thing. But basically, you're guided through the whole climb outdoors. It's a matter of going on mountain projects. It's a matter of who do you know? It's a matter of what can you come up with? Like not necessarily everything that we did, I think was established. I yeah. So um, it was a very interesting experience for me trying to search for a climb rather than like just seeing one doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it was a good experience and it made me think a bit more critically about um like what exactly am I going to do with my hands where is each placement what exactly am I going to do with my feet what is each placement I I think that the the critical thinking of that um was really good yeah and then lastly I think definitely learned this is like an all-day thing so like I have been outdoor climbing before and I know it's kind of like an all-day thing but like it just didn't really hit until like this until like this trip where like I we left campus at like what like 2 30 yeah like like around 2 30 yeah and we got home by like eight mm-hmm. we got home late. <laughs> late late and um and we were starving <laughs> we were so hungry <laughs> so yeah all day all day thing we got we got chick-fil-a afterwards it was the chick-fil-a hit hard it was like the the pedro pascal meme i was like <laughs> So yeah, and then I'm I'm now starting to understand the concept of like, the weekend warrior like a little bit more like definitely like uh, unless like climbing is your full like your full time profession like unless you got the weekends off like it's really the only time where you can like go outside like actually be able to like work on your projects outside and especially like our main concern was like losing light on the hike back and I know there are some people who like take like headlamps out and like or like camp like we saw a little campground like on Hunter's Rocks and I think you can actually camp at Hunter's Rocks question mark who knows um. But we were like, we are not prepared. We barely found our way here. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go. You know. Um. So I think definitely next time we're leaving at the crack of dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Like probably, probably even before. Like, like. Like light. Yeah. We're probably leaving in the dark. Six a.m. Prepare yourself. (laughs) Six a.m. Four (laughs) a.m. Summertime, girl. Actually, I feel like, like I have so much fun waking up super early and like um it's like still dark out no one else is awake you get your little coffee uh, you're like jamming to music while there's nobody on the road like i love that vibe it's it's fun 
I also do love that vibe, but I don't have like the courage. I don't have like the the mental fortitude to be actually be like a morning person. <laughs> I'm realizing this more and more, but like, yeah. I really love being being a night owl. But like, I want to be a morning person right now. Yeah. But like, I can do it with camping. I can do yeah. it with skiing. Yeah. I can do it with climbing. I remember when we went to Annapolis Rocks. We got zero sleep and still somehow managed to wake up at like seven o'clock in the morning yeah. to like just like hike out of hike out, hike out of Annapolis mm-hmm. Rocks, and it was like. Or hike out of the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. And um, I can totally do it. Like, I've done that with skiing before. Like, yeah. waking up to, like, waking up early to get to the... Yeah, like, to get the first tracks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a sunrise uh, sunrise hike where I am up, yep. got up at, like, 4.45 in the morning. 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. I love sunrise hikes. I think we should do a sunrise, ri- a sunrise hike for the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I love sunrise hikes. But yeah, it's typically something that I only do for like outdoor things um, or activities. Um, with that said, I I have an internship this summer and it's 40 minutes away from my house and it starts at 7 a.m. <laughs> Good luck, Macy Grove. <laughs> Sending you prayers. Over and out. <laughs> We have too much fun this podcast. I'm ready to wrap up. Are you ready to wrap up? Okay. I'm beating up the studio over here. All right. So thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast. We are Craig Gals. Our spontaneous fun fact for us today was um, how would you survive the Hunger Games? Macy's deciding to trust one person. I'm trusting no one. Our comment today was on Jenya Kajbekova, um, who is a Ukrainian climber um, who brought up her concerns over the International Olympic Committee allowing Russians and Belarusian athletes to co- to still comp- compete despite the war in Ukraine. Um, obviously, lots of love to Zhenya and um, all of our Ukrainian athletes. Um, hopefully, you guys will be able to compete. Um, otherwise, though, we will still continue to support you from over here, wherever, however we can. Um, we talked about our accent series, um, quote, Touching the Void, end quote, Senior Grande, Peru in 1985, where Joe Simpson broke his leg and somehow miraculously... Uh, repelled below a um, 80 feet below a crevasse um, and somehow managed to save himself by crawling out of a glacier down to base camp. Um, and then finally, our, our Chick-fil-A of this episode, outdoor versus indoor, what's the difference? What are our experiences? How are kind of discovering the nuances of the outdoors versus the indoors? Um, so yeah, overall, had a good conversation today. Be sure to check us out on social media. Um, on TikTok, we are crag.gals. On Instagram, we are craggals, no spaces, um, otherwise, though, uh, anything else you want to say, Mace? Thanks for listening today, and be sure to check out that TikTok and check out that Instagram. Give us a follow. Slave. Thanks, guys. Rock on. <laughs>